0: hi terry hi jess hello to those listening and welcome to our podcast on modeling minorities we're asian american women friends who met in college and daughters of immigrants these are the conversations we're having or wish we were
1: having with our husbands friends families and co-workers
0: what are we talking about today
1: Today, we're talking about what's it like having a bicultural identity? What does that mean? So to me, it means being shaped and influenced by two cultures. Um, and I think about our parents having immigrated here. You and I grew up Asian American. We were born and raised here. And now we're both married to white guys.
0: Right. So basically by being two, and cultures, two (laughs) culture. We are now having to, not now, all our our entire lives we've been having to grapple with. And so uh, having grown up in a predominantly white town and going to public school, um, Monday through Friday. I also had to go to Chinese school every weekend.
1: Me too, Jess. Me <laughs> too. Uh, and not only that, I learned Chinese knotting and Chinese watercolor <laughs> at Chinese school in California.
0: I did calligraphy, origami. I was never cool enough to do the Chinese yo-yo. <laughs> I felt like those people were amazing. It was <laughs> very, very hard. In my mind, a key example of like this bicultural identity where it's one one part of the week was one identity, one culture, and another part of the week was another culture. Right, right. And it's kind of like
1: compartmentalized and you're having to straddle both.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think Chinese school only lasted until like freshman year or something like that. But can we just say
1: that it was many hours of our weekend lives?
0: (laughs) Definitely. I think though by the end of my like high school experience I definitely felt like I was losing my Asian identity and I now I wonder I'm like oh was Chinese school actually really great at giving me that that closeness so I don't know for us now that I'm realizing like oh for us as, as much as I like dreaded having to go to school on a weekend I I do wonder if it was helpful in that way the end of high school I definitely felt like I was losing my Asian identity for some reason. And so I thought it was because I was in, you know, suburban New Jersey. And so I was just like, California, California is where all the Asians are. (laughs) All of them. (laughs) (laughs) But that didn't happen. Um, I still uh, ended up at a East Coast school. But then when I got there, I like gravitated towards the Asian groups. And so and not just like the Asian Americans it was like the international Asians. Yes
1: I was going to correct you there had you not (laughs) chimed in and corrected
0: yourself. (laughs) I really like double down.
1: (laughs) Yeah and growing up I definitely felt different. Um, I remember eating different foods and I we've talked about this before in previous episodes and we also celebrated different holidays but what I remember now is that Because my parents immigrated here and they had no concept of American holidays or American foods, I essentially served as the translator. I would explain to them what 4th of July meant and what foods we're supposed to eat. And I, I even remember, I think one time I was saying, like, we need to barbecue. And I wasn't specific enough on what foods to barbecue. So my parents barbecued like Asian food. <laughs> so it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't quite right. There is always something slightly amiss on the topic of being a translator for my parents in terms of translating cultural norms as it pertained to like white America. I also was the literal translator because as my English improved, you know, you and I both, spoke Mandarin growing up right and in in my home we also spoke Taiwanese and Hakka but as I started to become really proficient in English through school I had to translate stuff back to my parents because they'd be like what does that mean what is that word I don't know it Mm -hmm. and it was such an interesting thing of becoming an expert in something that my parents weren't And then having to articulate something and explain something in a different language. And sometimes I didn't have the right words in either language. And so it created this feeling of not feeling like I belonged in either place. Where am I truly comfortable? Neither in this America nor in Asia. Um, And I just lived in this in-between place.
0: Yeah. I think, especially growing up, I think we thought we had to choose, right? Between Asian versus white America because they seem so at odds with each other, right? They didn't seem intertwined. And like the school being a perfect example, right? We went to separate schools to learn Asian culture. And like, yes, now there's much more, there's more options in terms of like learning Mandarin in public schools. And also, Um, can I
1: just interrupt you and say, now it's cool to go to like a mm -hmm. Mandarin speaking like school, like it's desirable, but growing up, I would fight tooth and nail to not have to go to Chinese school on the weekend. (laughs)
0: <laughs> exactly. And so I I definitely felt like I was always having to question maybe how, how Chinese I was or how American I was. And I would do something and it would be like I ran competitively for track and cross country. So that made me more American. Uh, I took... Uh, sat prep classes and that made me more chinese
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and no one ever told us that we did it ourselves in our own minds we kind of categorize things into american or asian in the same way i think i categorized like piano classes very asian um dance team in high school very american but i did win the spelling bee when i was in the third grade Um, So that's like an Asian winning something very American, which I think is more commonplace now.
0: (laughs) And now, you know, we're married to white guys, which I feel like is the culmination of this conflict, right? This choice that we had to make. And in choosing to marry a white guy, it definitely feels like, and particularly with people outside looking in, it feels like we chose whiteness. In the end,
1: yeah, I, I definitely feel that way. Um, but, you know, looking back, there was a professor at college who I think might have been a prophet or something because he said, I was bound to end up with a white guy simply because of where I ended up living and working post college. There was just more white people. So he said, statistically, I was probably going to end up with somebody white, and I I think a part of me fought against that because I was like, no, that's that's not
0: going to be the case. I definitely felt like I I mean for me I definitely felt like I would it would be a huge betrayal, you know, if I had chosen yeah. to marry outside of my race.
1: Yeah, and also I don't know that my parents ever told me I I should or should not marry somebody Asian, but yeah, part of me thought maybe it'd be easier for them. If I did marry someone Asian who spoke mm-hmm. their native language and I didn't have to translate these cultural things that we're talking about, right? Like the cultural dissonances would just kind of not mm-hmm. be there because this Asian person that I was with would just naturally understand Asian customs.
0: Yeah. It's hard to see that as a reality, like that assumption. Just by nature of the fact that like I think most of our friends are in interracial relationships. Yes. I think and so all if of not, them it, <laughs> basically all of them. Yeah. <laughs> With a few exceptions. I guess it just it goes to show that cultural similarities don't equate to compatibility. Yeah. I find it interesting that you said, oh, that it would make it easier for my family, Um as opposed to like yeah. making it necessarily easier for us.
1: Yes, because we um, always think about our families, right? They're like
0: <laughs> always part of the equation. Right. I think a part of me thought that we were averting challenges by marrying a white guy just because their lives seem so much easier, so much <laughs> freer. <fair. laughs> and I think it speaks to that individualistic aspect of white American culture, right? Yes, because Not having that family burden or, or this feeling of, of responsibility, this feeling of being loyal to your ethnicity
1: right and the guilt that comes with it if, if you don't yeah because asians are more of a collectivist society right like we're part of a community we always are thinking about how we operate within this broader community mm-hmm. i don't ever feel like i can just make my own decisions freely i have to take into account all of these other pieces and it's never just me being just like you said i don't ever feel that free mm-hmm but I will say, um, one benefit to having married a white guy is I did get to avoid a demanding Asian mother-in-law. And I know that's a stereotype. I'll say I'll, you know, that, that's probably not true of every Asian mother-in-law.
0: I am terrified because I'm pretty confident I'm going to be that person. <laughs> and it's, It's I don't know. I'm hoping that my awareness of this possibility is going to allow me to follow a different path.
1: (laughs) But it's funny because your awareness (laughs) your awareness is that you're going to be it, which is
0: super delightful. I should just let it happen. (laughs) (laughs) Lean
1: into it. But now that you're married to a white guy, are there any moments where you feel like you're bumping up against a different culture or are there ways, which let's say Travis just reacts badly, but you try to explain, no, no, this is just my culture. You don't get it.
0: (laughs) I feel like food is like the easiest one because like I will be shoving food in his face constantly, (laughs) constantly. And And listen, (laughs) See, like, try Travis. It's so good. I'm, I'm fact checking this and
1: correct. You do do that, but I also do it <laughs> to be fair. So, what do you tell Travis when you shove
0: food in his face? So I'm just like, oh, do you want a bite? And he's just like, <laughs> no, like I don't. And then I'm like, and I remember making a comment like, oh, it's so hard being being Travis, like having food shoved in my face all the time. And he was like, and he just like gruffly was like, yes, it is. <laughs> Chad's like, "Oh,
1: wow, he actually doesn't appreciate it." They they do not appreciate it in the same way. I'm always trying to move food onto Chad's plate, and his response is, "If I wanted it, I would have gotten it myself." And I'm just like, "I'm trying to show you love." You know, this is this is an act of love and you are unappreciative and you're being actually cruel like you are.
0: <laughs> yeah. Because also, it's an Asian thing to not get food so that you aren't seen as, like, greedy. Yes. right. Or, like, like, you never take the last piece. Oh,
1: ne- never, never. Or, like, you move the last piece onto, like, someone else's plate to show you love them, mm-hmm. you're caring for mm-hmm. them, you're, you know, mm-hmm. you're you're really, you're giving them sustenance. What more could love be than that?
0: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. I'll also say, for me, it was very difficult whenever, and Chad still does this, he asks for <laughs> soy sauce whenever we're eating Asian food, and it drives me crazy. Because I'm like, listen, soy sauce is a seasoning. If we wanted to add soy sauce into that dish, we would have done it. You know, it's not a dipping sauce. Like, contra- <laughs> like, contrary to what people think, and I think sushi has set a really bad example, right, like, right. You, don't, you don't dip your food into soy sauce. But now, <laughs> I, you know, I think we've reached a really happy medium, which is I just give up. I just, like, mm-hmm. let him grab the soy sauce. Let it I don't, happen. Right? Like, that is the key to a happy marriage. Compromise.
0: Right. <laughs> Compromise. <laughs> relenting yeah (laughs) but I think I mean you know just by nature of the fact that like a lot of our friends are in in interracial relationships and so it's not just you know us like we are realizing that it doesn't really matter who we who we ultimately chose to marry I think we ourselves are having to grapple with the bicultural life and it's a it's something that's inside of us and Ultimately, you know, we were looking at our white husbands, but it I think it definitely was irrelevant who we ended up with. I think we still would have had to have these reconciliations even if we ended up with somebody Asian.
1: Yeah, because, because it's really the way that we grew up, right? It's the life that we've lived. It's not who we chose to spend our lives with. And in some ways, I think of it as us having created a new category, because in the past, we would think it's Asia or America, or it's Asia versus America. But by virtue of us being born here, growing up here, living, living our lives here, working here, now you have kids here, mm-hmm. I don't even know that bicultural is the right term mm-hmm. because Asian American is its own culture. Mm-hmm. In and of itself, it, it stands mm-hmm. up as its own thing.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And if I also look at our husbands, and we took them to Taiwan together, uh, and thank you, Jess, for letting me and Chad tag along on your honeymoon, by the way. That was great.
0: (laughs) That's (laughs) the only way we like to travel. (laughs) (laughs) Yes.
1: I don't see Chad and Travis as only white America. Chad, for example, is learning Chinese. And I'm embarrassed to admit he can read and write more than I can at this point. All of those (laughs) years of Chinese school, like completely out the window because I've forgotten so much of it. And I know Travis is picking up more Chinese by living with your parents and also learning it from your kids. But it's interesting because they're also kind of like ingesting and taking in this other culture. Right. And so they're not just wholly like American now I feel comfortable at times speaking in Chinese to Chad, which is so bizarre. And my dreams of being able to gossip about people behind their backs in Chinese is finally coming to
0: fruition. Life goals. Yeah. Relationship goals. <laughs> Definitely relationship <laughs> goals. And I, I mean, you bring up my kids and I, I do wonder, you know, with this next generation, like, are they going to feel this conflict or are they going to have to redefine what Asian American means for their generation, you know?
1: Yeah, and like you said, most of our friends are in interracial relationships and they have biracial kids. I'm just so excited to see them and my nieces and nephews grow up in this new America that they're creating together. For sure. Jess, you know what's so crazy? I just realized that we figured this stuff out in this episode. Us talking about it helped us to process this and I
0: it's so crazy that we arrived here. I know. And I can't believe we just worked through 30 plus years of identity issues. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're realizing that our identity is, is a spectrum. And so when we in the future have the thought of, oh, I'm being too American or oh, I'm being too Asian. I think we're learning now that we don't have to choose. And that's so freeing. <music> Thank you for listening. This is really meant to be a conversation and we'd love to hear from you. Feel free to email us at hello at unmodelingminorities.com.
1: Unmodeling Minorities will be released every Thursday.
0: Hope you join us next time.